Well, can I thank the Reverend Stuart for the warm words of welcome and for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you once again and to be able to share with you an update on the work of the TBS. And I trust that you'll be encouraged by what you hear tonight. It's been a couple of years since I was last here and the Lord has done tremendous things in that time. He has opened up many more doors of opportunity for us to translate the scripture, to print the scripture and to get the word of God into the hands of needy souls. But we're going to begin tonight in the Word of God, and we're turning to Psalm 12. Psalm 12, we'll read the whole psalm together. To the chief musician upon Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh pride things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tribe and a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Amen. May the Lord's blessing be on the reading of his word. It's the words of verse 6 I'd like to leave with you briefly tonight. The psalmist David says, The words of the Lord are pure words. One of the great problems facing Christianity today, in fact facing many uh, in the the world today, is that things have become so man-focused and man-centered. In Christianity, in many circles, uh, it has become so man-centered that the very person of God has become obscured. And very few people know little about who God is and what he is like. The Bible has much to teach us about God. It describes the attributes of God, uh, what he is like. And one of the attributes is the holiness of God. As we read through the Bible, we can't help but see that our God is a holy God. He is holy with every thought that he thinks every word that he says, and every deed that he does. And he is also holy in his interactions with men. We can think of when God called Moses to the burning bush. As Moses was called forward, he was told to remove the shoes from off his feet because the place he was standing was holy ground. Not that there was anything eminently holy about the dust of the earth where he was standing, but because he was in the presence of a holy God. And we can see many other examples that in God's interactions with men, they are holy interactions. But God is also holy in his communication with men as well. As God communicates with men, it is a holy communication. As Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 verse 2, he says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures. He doesn't just call them scriptures. He uses that prefix, holy. And as he wrote to Timothy, he said, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. 
because God's communication to us today is a holy communication. The book that we hold in our hands, we shorten it to the Bible, but to give it its full title, it is the Holy Bible, because God communicates to us in a holy manner and fashion. Sadly, the world doesn't agree with us that this is a holy book. They mock the Bible. They deride the Bible. They criticize it. They tell us it's a book of fairy tales, a book of make-believe. They tell us that men have wrote it and it's not inspired by God at all. And sadly, there's some even within the professing church who have such a, a low view of Scripture that they nearly take the side of the world in, in deriding Scripture. But how does God view his word? We're told in Psalm 138 verse 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So we can take all the attributes of God, all the works of God in creation and providence, and the psalmist says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So the world today pays little heed or little reverence to the word of God. But the psalmist says, writing under inspiration, that God has magnified his word above his very name. So God does not look at his word with disgust. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't relegate it uh, to a degree of lesser importance. He magnifies his word. He puts the, the uttermost preeminence on his word. And if God gives such reverence, and elevation to his word. How much more should we not follow in elevating the word, the holy word of our God? Well, as scripture is God's word, it can only be holy and it can only be pure. So I want to speak for a few moments tonight on the subject, the purity of scripture. Our verse says today, the words of the Lord are pure words, and they are. Four headings for you tonight. First of all, Scripture has a pure inception. And Scripture has a pure inception because it begins with God. The Word of God did not begin with Moses. Yes, he was the human author, but that's not the first time the Word of God ever went forth. God's Word began with him from his mouth. It came from his mind to his mouth, and the Word of God was spoken. Isaiah 55 verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Psalm 68 verse 11 reminds us, the Lord gave the word. And what a marvel that is to this world of fallen sinners, to those who have been lost and ruined by the fall. God has not left us in darkness, but he has a holy communication for us. God's mouth is not silent. God has a word for you. And for me, scripture begins with God. And because it begins with God, it is a holy word. Psalm 18 verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. That word tried means tested and proved true. We use the term inerrant to describe the Bible. That is, it is free from error. The word of God has been tried and tested and found to be free from error. Now, some try to criticize the Bible, and they try to say there's mistakes, there's contradictions, there's errors. There's not. There can't be, for this very simple reason. God cannot contradict himself, and God cannot lie. So everything that in this book is true, and those who raise contradictions, if they put the work in, the effort, 
they will find that there's not contradictions. There's gaps in our understanding, but there's no contradictions in the Bible. But also, because this word comes from God, it's a living word. As the Lord Jesus rebuked the devil in Matthew chapter 4, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but, I add these words, he shall live by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. That is how man is to live. He's to live by the word of God. There's no book in the world that can be described as a living book because they're uh, written by men. But this is a living book that is relevant and applicable in every single age. There's some books that are outdated today. Even though they were maybe only written a couple of years ago, they're irrelevant. I was in a second-hand bookshop over the summer and I saw a user's guide for Windows 2000 And I thought, surely that has to be the most irrelevant book in this bookshop. It's only, what, 20, 25 years since it was printed, but it's of little use to to very few folk today. I hope I don't offend anybody who's still using Windows 2000, but it's an irrelevant book. But that can never be said of the Bible, because the Holy Bible is as relevant today as it was in the day that God gave it. It is a living word, and God gives a living word for those who are dead in trespasses and sins, to make them alive in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 describes just how holy this book is. A silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The silversmith, he heated up the furnace. He put the silver in uh, to remove the dross and the impurities. He brought it back out. It cooled down. He put it back in. He repeated that process seven times until that silver was as pure as it possibly could be. And that's what the psalmist is saying about the word of the Lord. It's as pure as that pure silver. There's no errors. There's no corruptions. There's no deformities in the word of God. It is a pure word. A pure word. It can't be anything but pure. It comes from God. If the Bible is not 100% the word of God, then it's not a holy book. If this book is a mixture of truth and error, it is not a holy book, and it has not come from God, and it has not been preserved by God. But it is a holy book. It comes from God. So our first heading was, Scripture has a pure inception. Secondly, Scripture has a pure inspiration. It has a pure inspiration because God gave his word by inspiration to men. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase, given by inspiration of God, is one word in the Greek, theo, which means God, neo, that means to breathe out, God breathed out. And that word is only ever used one time in the whole of scripture. God breathed out. That is what God did. He breathed out his word and he used the human author to write it down because Peter teaches us that. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God gave the word, he breathed out the word and the Holy Spirit moved the human author to record it perfectly. He didn't just give the human author the rough general outline and let them fill in the blanks. No, he used that human writer organically. That is why we see the personality, the education, the background of the human writer come across. But God inspired every single word. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure. Because this book, dear friend, 
is all God's Word from beginning to end. Now, sadly, the doctrine of inspiration has been under attack for quite some time. Going back to the year 1881, two men by the name of Westcott and Hort, they were asked to lightly revise the authorized version. They didn't do that. They went back to the Greek New Testament of the authorized version called the Texas Receptus, which was the Greek uh, text for all the great uh, Bibles of the Protestant Reformation. And they took the Texas Receptus and they set that to the side. And they decided to produce their own Greek New Testament text, not based upon the thousands of existing manuscripts, but based primarily upon two manuscripts. Their names, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. Codex Sinaiticus was uh, discovered in St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai in 1859. Codex Vaticanus was known about at the time of the Protestant Reformation, but rejected because it was so different from the thousands of existing manuscripts that were found. So Westcott and Hort produced a New Testament based primarily upon these two manuscripts. The end result was a Greek New Testament that has 6,000 differences from the Texas Receptus. Not one or two, or over 6,000. And there's also some serious problems with it as well. The New Testament started by Westcott and Hort leaves out the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel. It has Mark's gospel ending, then were the women afraid, the end. It leaves out uh, John 7, 53 to John 8, 11, the story of the woman taken in adultery. It's left out. It leaves out verses like Acts 8, 37, the profession of faith of the Ethiopian eunuch. It's missing. It leaves out Matthew 18, 11, the son of man has come to save that which is lost. And it leaves out many more verses and parts of verses. And they're all very serious. A couple of examples here. Matthew 5, 44. The authorized version says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. The NIV, which is from the modern critical text, reads like this. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now there's three important pieces of Christian doctrine that are missing there. Bless them that curse you is missing. Do good to them that hate you is missing. And praying for those which despitefully use you is missing as well. And many other verses and parts of verses have been left out. I don't have time to detail them all tonight, but it's fairly serious. So the question must be asked, and dear friends, it must be answered. What is the inspired and inerrant word of God? If we hold the Texas Receptus on one hand, the modern critical text, which is still unfinished, they're still working on it. They may take out more verses tomorrow or add verses in. They're not so sure. They might never have finished it. 6,000 differences. Which is the word of God? All right, is God guilty of causing confusion over his word? Paul says God is not the author of confusion. Are we still left after 2,000 years to try and complete the jigsaw puzzle, as the critical text scholars call it, of Scripture? Are we told anywhere in the Bible that the church is going to have to rediscover or recover the Word of God? Of course not. Which brings me to my third point tonight. Scripture has a pure preservation. It has a pure preservation. The Bible itself promises that God would preserve his word. 
Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that it's settled in heaven, but unsettled in earth, as some would uh, misinterpret that verse to be. The reference to heaven is that as heaven is in a settled and permanent state, so God's word is permanent and settled as well. Cannot be changed, cannot be altered. It's a settled word. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. It endures, won't be lost won't be hidden in caves or in libraries. It will endure in every single age. Isaiah 40 verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It will stand as that beacon of truth. It will stand as that beacon of light that sinners can come to and find the message that they need for their souls. The Lord Jesus declared in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The Lord comforted his church with this great promise to this infant church, only a few dozen in number. He promises them, although uh, terrible things will happen in this world, my word will always be with you. It will be a word of hope, a word of comfort, a word of exhortation, a word that you can put your very faith and life and soul upon. And so it is. Never are we told that the word will be lost. Those who read from the translations from the critical text, they cannot say with certainty that they have the word of God. They can't. Ask them about the last 12 verses of Mark if they know about this. And they'll, they'll answer in an uncertain manner. Well, we're not sure if that's the word of God, but it doesn't affect my life at all. They're not sure if the word they hold in their hand is God's word or not. So how has God preserved his word? He has preserved it. In the Old Testament, Hebrew Masoretic text, and the New Testament, Greek Textus Receptus. Dear friends, this has been the historic position of the church. The Textus Receptus New Testament can be traced all the way back to the first century church. That can't be said of the modern critical texts. Early church fathers, as far back as 100 AD, quote these missing verses that the critics tell us were added in the fourth century. Well, unless they had a time machine, I, I struggle to see how they could do that. Acts 7, 38, the apostle mentions our fathers who received the lively articles to give to us. The Old Testament church were the custodians of the Old Testament scripture. 1 Timothy three fifteen, Paul refers to the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, does that mean that the church has permission to invent truth or define truth no the church has received the word of god which is the truth and it is the church's responsibility to preach and to teach that truth see it spurgeon said the bible has passed through the furnace of persecution literary criticism philosophic doubt and scientific discovery and lost nothing and so it has the word of god shall stand forever Critics tell us the originals were inspired, but then they throw up their hands and say, ah, alas, we don't have the true text today. Well, our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 8, this is what our Presbyterian forefathers declared, and it was so good that the Congregationalists copied it and the Baptists copied it as well. It's found in all three confessions. It says, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, 
been immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentical. That is what our Protestant forefathers believed. That God has kept his word pure in all ages. Because that's exactly what he has done. It's the great doctrine of the preservation of scripture. Fourthly and finally, scripture is a pure communication. And it's a pure communication because it communicates God's special revelation to us. In this book, God communicates everything he wants you and I to know about him and about us and about the way of salvation. Specifically, this book communicates the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the book of the Savior. This is the book that brings us to him. Like the Greeks of old, when they came to Philip and then to Andrew, they said, sir, we would see Jesus. If you and I want to learn and know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, where do we turn? We turn to the word of God. He doesn't come to us in dreams or in visions. He comes to us through the pages of Holy Scripture. So God gave this book as a revelation of his son. John finished the Bible with the book of Revelation and he called it the revelation of Jesus Christ because that's what this book is. Do you know if the Lord Jesus Christ was never formed in the womb of the Virgin Mary, if he never came to this world taking a real humanity uh, to himself, there'd be no Bible. There'd be no New Testament and there'd be no Old Testament. The whole point of the Old Testament is to point us to Christ. The whole world was waiting for his coming. Every prophet points and directs us to him. Every psalm sings of him. The whole history of the Bible is pointing to the coming Savior, Messiah, the one who would be of the seed of David uh, from the root of Abraham. This book was awaiting the Messiah and it reveals him. So scripture is a pure communication and it's the pure communication that God has for you and I here today. The Savior declared to the Jews, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. And scripture, dear friends, particularly communicates to us the gospel message. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The only thing that can make us wise unto salvation is the word of God. There's no gimmicks, there's no tomfoolery that can make us wise unto salvation. It's the word of God, which is why it's so important that we read it, which is why it's so important that we preach it. We invite people in under the sound of the preaching of the word because it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching the word to save them that believe. God has ordained his word for the conversion of the nations and for the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, bringing this message to a close here uh, tonight. Imagine you had carefully prepared a letter and you communicated in that letter some vital truths and instructions for your family. You passed that letter on and then after a short time you discovered that that letter had been abridged, that it had been edited, that some words had been put in and others had been taken out and your letter, although vaguely uh, familiar to what you had, uh, isn't uh, the message that you communicated. Well, how would, that, how would you respond? 
Well, I imagine you would be indignant. You'd be angry. How dare they tamper with my letter that I wrote? Well, dear friends, we have a problem today. The men are tampering with the word of God. They're cutting verses out. They're changing doctrine. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, You shall not add on to the word that I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. We have evangelicals today who are trying to say there's not seven signs of the cross, there's only six. They're trying to say, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Should not be in our Bible. And these are evangelicals that our young people are listening to. Men perverting and corrupting the truth. We must do all to stand against it. God has given us a holy word and he has given us a pure word. And we should be ever so thankful that we have it. But we should also have a burden to share it with others as well. For those who are still lost in sin and in the darkness of false religion, the light that they need is the light of God's word. And may we ever be those who seek to share it with them. I'll finish with this illustration. I met up with a, a minister last week and he was telling me that in his church there was a man and he came into contact with these uh, Muslims who had uh, moved from Iran and he had a real burden for these people. So he went uh, uh, to them, he got friendly with them and eventually over time they started coming out to church and a remarkable thing she came in with her, her, her Muslim headscarf, but they came to church. They sat under the sound of the word. As their English improved, they understood more of the gospel. And then, remarkably, one Lord's day, uh, the man came to faith in Christ. And then his wife, she says, well, I don't want to rush into anything that I'm not prepared to commit to. So several months later, uh, they have a... Uh, they have a a midweek meeting, it's a, a, a table talk meeting. They, they come, they have coffee, you can bring your questions, you can ask them to the pastor. This woman took two buses and traveled two hours to get to that meeting. And the pastor opened and he said, has anybody any questions? And that Muslim woman, she says, I have a very important question. What must I do to be saved? And he had the joy of pointing her to the Lord that day. And it all started when that man from his church started taking the word of, or befriended this couple to bring the word of God to them. Dear friends, we should love our neighbor and the greatest love that we could do for them is to share Christ with them, to make the scriptures known to them, invite them into church, hand them a gospel, say, dear friend, family member, would you read this? Well, we'll move on and share with you now the report and update on the work of the TBS In the presentation tonight, I'd like to give you some updates on some translations and also some reports on two recent launches and then some distribution reports and brief news as well. Well, first of all, Bible translation. The TBS began in 1831, and primarily we started translating or started printing the English scripture, the Welsh scripture, the Scots Gaelic and the Manx Gaelic as well. But in November 1835, a gift was given to the TBS, a gift of 50 pounds. A lot of money today, but it was an awful lot of money back then. In today's value, it would be the equivalent of receiving a gift of about 5,200 pounds. 
And this gift was given for the purpose that we would produce our first foreign translation. So after much prayerful consideration, they produced the Portuguese Bible, and that was completed in 1844. We did a further revision in 1994. Such was the demand for scripture in South America, Brazil in particular, in the Portuguese language. We opened a branch in Brazil back in 1968. It's celebrating its 55th anniversary this year. And this is what this branch in Brazil has done in the Portuguese language in the last 55 years. Over 10 million Bibles have been distributed. Over 198 million New Testaments have been distributed. And they have produced a Bible app in Portuguese that has been downloaded 14 million times. So this is one translation, one language in South America. And the Lord has used it to reach over 220 million Portuguese-speaking souls, primarily in Brazil. And it started with that very generous gift of 50 pounds back in uh, 1835. I often get asked, why do we do new translations? If they have a translation in a language, why do we add a second one? Well, we don't believe there should be multiple translations in any language. We believe there should only be one translation in any language, and it should be the best translation, the most accurate, and the most reliable translation. There shouldn't be confusion. But sadly, not all Bibles are from the Greek Texas Receptus New Testament and the Hebrew Masoretic Old Testament. Many are from the modern critical text with all the problems that I mentioned earlier. But there's also some very basic and simple mistakes as well. A couple of examples here. Psalm 40, verse 7. Uh, the Louis Sagan Bible is a very popular French Bible. In the English it reads, Low in the volume of the book it is written, Off me. And every English translation that I have looked at has written off me because this is a messianic psalm. And the Bible, of course, is written <coughs> off Christ. But Sagand has, with the scroll of the book, written for me. Well, there's a big difference between being a book written off somebody or a book being written for somebody. Well, Sagand deliberately mistranslated this because he was a notable liberal who didn't like the messianic psalm, so he obscures the messianic prophecy in this. And sadly today, there are those, and there have always been those in, any, in every generation, who corrupt the word of God. Just look at what the Jehovah's Witness do with John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And you'll see how they can corrupt scripture. And that can be traced all the way back to the first century, where there were men who, who cut uh, scripture to pieces in order to suit their theology. And it still happens today. The Chinese Union version is used by 99% of Chinese Christians, but it's not from the Greek Texas Receptus New Testament. In fact, it's primarily translated from the English Revised Version uh, of 1885. And there's some very uh, poor translations in parts. Genesis 3 verse 4, The snake said to the woman, You may die or you may not die. Whenever it should be, you shall not surely die. Now, there's no other translation has it like this. That is an extremely poor translation that needs to be corrected. The Turkish translation of 2008, Matthew 5, 48, Therefore be competent, even as your heavenly Father is competent. Whereas it should read perfect. The Turkish do have a word for perfect, but they've deliberately not used it and chosen the more inferior word, competent. Well, our God is not merely competent. He is perfect. And it should be translated that way. 
So those are only a couple of examples to show why we produce translations in other languages where they already have a translation, because people shouldn't be settling for a second best or an it'll do copy of God's word. They should have the most faithful, most reliable, most accurate translation. Well, moving on, at the end of last year, the population of the world reached over 8 billion people. Now, remarkably, 66% of the world's population can speak one of 10 languages. So two out of every three people are able to speak one of the 10 most spoken languages in the world. And we have projects, either completed or ongoing, in eight projects, giving us the potential to reach almost 5 billion people. There's two languages we don't have translations in, and the truth is they need accurate translations in these languages. The Bengali for Bangladesh and the Urdu for Pakistan. The Bibles they have are not reliable, they're not accurate. Uh, some of them have, uh, we're led to believe, have been translated from the English Good News Version and not from the original text. And the English Good News Version is one of the worst of all the English translations. So far in print, we have 21 Gospels. We start with a Gospel, we translate it. When it is printed, the team move on to the New Testament. And then once it is printed, they move on to the Old Testament. And then we have a complete Bible. But behind the scenes, we have over 50 projects that are currently ongoing. And there's other uh, potential projects that we are examining at the moment. And there's another uh, 12 that we're consulting on and four have currently stalled. Uh, in some of these, for example, the translators have maybe taken ill or passed away, and maybe the team aren't able to, to continue on without uh, a lead translator. But this map gives you a bit of an indication as to the scale of the work, and you'll see some very prominent languages reaching hundreds of millions of people, but there's also some smaller languages there, where they're, they're maybe only spoken in their tens of thousands. But whether a language is spoken by hundreds of millions or, or tens of thousands, those are still people who need the word of God. Well, just to mention two launches uh, that have happened in uh, the last year. First of all, the Simte Bible. The Simte people are part of the hill tribes who live in the Manipur region of northeast India. The gospel first came to them at the start of the 20th century, late 19th century, through Christian missionaries like William Pettigrew uh, from Scotland. And uh, many of the uh, tribal people received the gospel uh, with gladness. Uh, the Simte people were one of those tribes. Their numbers number in the tens of thousands. We think there's about 70,000 of the Simte people. We first uh, printed the New Testament for them in 1975. Do you know how many books they had in their own language before 1975? None. Our New Testament was the first book they ever received in the Simte language. The whole Bible was completed in 1992. In 2015, a report highlighted the importance of the Simte Bible in shaping their language. It said, we the Simte are just at the stage of developing our literature, dialect and grammar. As such, the Holy Bible has become more or less our dictionary and grammar book. Around 2008, we began a revision of the Simte Bible for the Simte uh, people, and they have been eagerly awaiting its completion. It was completed in uh, 2021, and uh, last February, we shipped over 6,500 Bibles to the Manipur region for the Simte people. 
Now, they hadn't received a Bible from 1992. Many of their Bibles had worn out and disintegrated. Uh, there was maybe, uh, they were maybe sharing Bibles. Well, this is the video to showing the Bible arriving for the first time since 1992, and you'll see the excitement on their faces. and it'll probably be here tomorrow but that's not the case for many people throughout the world whenever we launch a, a, a gospel a new testament or a bible we have thanksgiving services and many uh, services were held amongst the Simte people in different congregations and they also engaged in bible distribution many people queuing the length of the church and down into the street in order to get their hands on copies of god's word they also wanted to make sure that the unbelievers had access to the word as well. So they reserved some copies. They made sure there was enough, one for every Christian home, and they handed out copies to those who didn't have any. They wrote to us at the end of last year, nine months after the Bibles had been launched, with letters of appreciation. One pastor mentioned how preaching in the church became very inconvenient without a Bible in his own language. Some of the Sabbath school students uh, had a Bible for the very first time. Another mentioned how much uh, or how important it was to them to have a Bible after a gap of 25 years. And this was a common thing. Many were testifying how they had read the Bible through in that nine-month period. One person had even read it twice in that nine-month period. One of the students at a Bible college who received a, a copy the day it was launched he started reading it that day, and seven days later, he had the whole Bible finished. Read the whole Bible in a week. And the common theme was, our new Bible has blessed me tremendously. And that shouldn't surprise us, because God's word is a blessing to God's people. It builds us up and strengthens us in the most holy faith. The Manipur region has seen uh, violence and turmoil in recent months. They would value your prayers at this time. Many churches have been attacked by the Hindi extremists. Uh, some Christians have been injured and some, sadly, have been killed. Uh, so do pray for them. We don't just work with the Simte people there. We, we work with some of the other tribes. Um, they would value your prayers, uh, please. The next one to mention is the Amharic New Testament. Amharic is a language spoken in Ethiopia. They also speak it in Eritrea that little country just to the north of Ethiopia. And there's some speakers in South Africa, about half a million, some in the UK, the USA, <coughs> Egypt, Israel, 
Sweden and France as well. But Ethiopia is the main country. It has a population of 118 million people. There's around 30 million who speak Amharic as a first language and about another 25 to 30 million who speak it as a second language. It is the national language. It's the language of the government. Yeah, so many people are at least familiar with it in some ways. Before we launched our Amharic New Testament last December, our lead translator, he asked for a meeting of the leading evangelicals in Ethiopia. And remarkably, about 70 of them came out. And he told them about all the mistakes and all the problems and all the errors in their uh, current Amharic Bibles and why we have produced our New Testament. And he was expecting a bit of an angry backlash, but there wasn't one. One of the leaders stood up and said, we cannot disagree with anything that you have said about the current Amharic Bibles. And if your New Testament is as good as you tell us, you will have our full support. So we uh, suddenly had a huge demand for interest in our Amharic New Testaments. Our General Secretary went for the main launch in Addis Ababa uh, last December. And there were over 2,000 people at that meeting. Now they didn't come because they, the TBS are famous there. We've never been in Ethiopia before. This is the first time we've done a project for them. They came because they heard of a reliable copy of God's word. I was asked to go for one of the other launches in a city called Debray Berhan, about three and a half hours north of Addis Ababa, and over 500 people filled that meeting. One man told me that he had traveled over three hours on a bus just to get to the meeting. This is our lead translator, Haile Emerlu, addressing the meeting. Everybody who came to one of our services left with a free copy of the Amharic New Testament. This is a brief clip of a 2 Timothy 3 being read. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, we had five meetings in December. And such was the demand that we had to have four more in Ethiopia in the springtime. And there was also one held in the summer in South Africa. And they want more meetings. It's hard to keep up with the demand that there are for meetings. At one of the meetings in the spring, uh, we had only taken a thousand New Testaments. We didn't think there'd be more people than that. Well, over 1,250 people turned up to that meeting. You can see the young people standing along the back of the room. There wasn't enough chairs for them all. Uh, some were having to sit on the floor as well. Um, as well as the great interest in the Amharic, there's 88 different languages spoken in Ethiopia. Uh, since we launched the Amharic New Testament, uh, about a dozen uh, languages have come forward saying, we don't have the Bible in our language. Can you help us? So the more we do, the more demand there is for the word of God, which is tremendous really. One of the other reasons I was there was to look at a distribution center. In order to distribute printed material in Ethiopia, you have to be registered there. Now, the Ethiopians, they're not coming to us looking us to do everything for them. In fact, they're very keen and zealous to be involved and do the work themselves. The TBS has branches in Canada, America, Brazil, New Zealand, and Australia. The Ethiopians wanted their own branch in Ethiopia, and uh, we started that. Uh, we now have a branch on the continent of Africa. And this is an example of just how willing they are to 
get involved. A Christian businessman who owns this complex has very generously provided us with an office rent-free for a couple of years to get us established there. Now, this is a, a state-of-the-art office in the capital uh, Addis Ababa. He could rent that out and, uh, and make profit. But instead, he's using it for the Lord's work. And the men that I met, they are so zealous to do the work themselves, put their hand to the plough, and take the word of God out amongst uh, their fellow Ethiopians. We uh, shipped 10,000 Amharic New Testaments to Ethiopia last December. Within a month, they were all gone. We have since sent 85,000 New Testaments in total, and they're disappearing at a rapid rate. There's such a hunger for the word of God in Ethiopia. Sometimes we produce a translation and we try our best to advertise it and we try our best to promote it. We invite churches and uh, uh, ministers and everybody else out and sometimes we maybe don't get a big crowd and sometimes we might print 10,000 and a couple of years later there might still be 7,000 sat in the warehouse. That isn't the case in Ethiopia. There's a huge interest and a huge hunger for the word of God. They... Ethiopia is a very poor country. There's no welfare state outside my hotel. There was a lame man uh, begging at the side of the street and he had flip-flops on his hands because he used those to pull himself up and down the street. As you pulled up at traffic lights, the, the poverty was unbelievable. You could have half a dozen people swarming your car, tapping your window, begging for money. Um, the, the, the Christians there were extremely friendly. They had me in their house. They made lovely home-cooked meals. Uh, the roads in Ethiopia aren't like the roads here. We should never complain about the roads here. Um, the, the roads were so bumpy, the car battery kept disconnecting. Um, uh, so our, our lead translator, he had to stop and uh, uh, fix it a few times. I was no use to him at all. I just took pictures uh, while, while he worked. But the greatest poverty in Ethiopia is the spiritual poverty. 40% are Muslim. 40% are Ethiopian Orthodox, but there's a small remnant of faithful believers who love the Lord and who preach Christ and desire to make him known. And they would value your prayers that God would continue to bless the distribution of scripture, that there would continue to be that hunger for the word of God in Ethiopia. Well, moving on, just very uh, briefly to finish with, to mention some Bible distribution. We distribute scripture in two ways. We sell to those who can afford to pay for it. And over the last two years, we've sold over 4 million items. And then the proceeds from our sales go into our grant fund. That enables us to give away scripture. And in the last two years, we've given away over 3 million items. And our scripture has gone to 112 countries throughout the world in over 40 different languages. And it's for reasons like this. This is a pastor's Bible in Malawi. And it runs from Leviticus 9 to 1 Thessalonians 4 because he is worn through it. And he can't just pop down to a bookshop. He can't just go on to Amazon. It doesn't work like that. He's reliant upon somebody providing him with one. And just a couple of quick pictures of where the word of God has gone in the last 18 months or so. There's been a huge interest for the word of God in South America. Uh, some of those countries that were formerly under the grip of Romanism uh, have seen the light of the gospel and calendars have been a great means of reaching out to souls uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, many people who might not accept a, cal or a, a Bible or a New Testament might take a calendar with a Bible verse on it. It 
has a practical benefit to them. Well, just some brief updates and news. If you enjoy watching missionary documentaries, we have an excellent one of Bible distribution in Bolivia. You'll find it on our YouTube channel. It's called Manuribi. I have some uh, free booklets with me here tonight. All the booklets are free. And please take as many as you can use. If, uh, if we run out of them, you can order them free of charge uh, on our website. Uh, these are some new ones that have come out uh, dealing with some very important topics. We do have some copies of the Coronation Bible left. You can order those on our website. In fact, our website's a great resource for uh, many different items, for Bibles, New Testaments, calendars, gospel tracts, bookmarks, and other things as well. There's copies of our magazine out there. In fact, if you'd like to sign up to our magazine, please fill out one of the postcards, and we'll send that out to you free of charge. We do work with local churches uh, to help them spread the Word of God in their community. Our Lisburn congregation produced this one earlier in the year, and they have been sharing the Word of God in Lisburn, and I believe that the Lord has blessed this uh, Gospel of John distribution already. Part of my role as well is to go around schools with Bibles as the Lord enables us. And um, already this year, I've been able to hand out over 2,300 Bibles in schools in Northern Ireland. And uh, it's been very encouraging. One Christian teacher told me that at the end of the day, um, her class ran out to their parents waving their Bible saying, Mommy, uh, look, I, I got my first Bible today. And she was amazed that these children um, uh, didn't have a Bible of their own until we went in. There's a great overlap between the work of the Free Presbyterian uh, Mission Board and the TBS. This gives an indication as to uh, the countries we have shared interests in. Uh, one of particular interest to you here in Balamina will be Liberia. Uh, Dan Geo is the language spoken up in the hills amongst the Dan Geo people. And the New Testament is due to be finished um, at the start of next year. They're working on the Old Testament as well. They're just getting the New Testament finished. And there's been a huge interest in that. And we, uh, we look forward to that being launched uh, in the next couple of months. In Uganda, we sent a grant there. This is the Uganda Outreach Team. Uh, they were joined by Mrs. Crane uh, whenever they were out. The TBS sent a grant of over 800 Bibles and 1,200 New Testaments. And every child at the Uganda school received a TBS Bible free of charge and every staff member as well. And we also sent a grant to Kenya in recent times of over 400 Bibles and 300 New Testaments. And there's actually been another grant that's gone out recently to Malcolm Patterson and to the work out there. As well as the printed page, we're also getting our scriptures online. There's some countries in the world where it's very dangerous to have a Bible or a New Testament but they have access to the internet and they can go and read the word of God online. Think of countries like Iran where they can't have a Bible, but they can uh, go to one of our websites, read the scripture there. The ultra-Orthodox Jews won't have a copy of the New Testament in their house, but we have a specialist website for them so they can go and read the word of God. And another team has put the Hebrew New Testament on audio so they can listen to it being read as well. And we're also working on a British Sign Language translation. Uh, this will be videos uploaded to our website uh, with the Word of God being communicated in a formal translation rather than the uh, translators having to interpret on the spot. Well, can I thank you for your interest and your attention here tonight. It's been a pleasure uh, to be with you and to be able to share the work of the TBS. And we would covet your prayers that the Lord would continue to raise up more translators who will come and translate the Bible into their own language. And that the Lord will also 
uh, create a soul thirst for Bible distribution throughout the world as well.